Welcome to the wheelhouse. I can't say enough about the maturation of J.P. Crawford. He has really stabilized our middle infield defense, and it's made everybody better. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. We think T.Y. France would be yeah, a, a nice. T.Y. France. T.Y. Uh, France. T.Y. France. Uh, in any event. <laughs> that has to stay in. That has to stay in. <laughs> and Gary Hill Jr. He references WRC Plus. He's hanging out in the top ten in the American League. I mean, it is really impressive. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. It is that time once again. Time for the wheelhouse podcast. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, and Jerry Depoto. Jerry, it's great to see you. The sun is out. It's beginning to feel a little bit more like summer. How are you? I like when it feels like summer because that means the ball starts jumping. I mean, we bit. all are wearing some form of long sleeves currently, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is feeling more like summer. I just like the sun being out. Yes. And uh, I will say over the course of this last week, we've had more summerish type days than not. Well, you can uh, you do know the the meteorological me- meteorological mm. is that pretty sure I nailed that. <laughs> <Yeah>. OK, <laughs> uh, the theory is and it's rock solid. It's like my scouting. Oh, sale. Here we go. When the Mariners are gone, Jer, it's seventy-five and sunny. Yeah, I mean you can you can mark your calendar. Well, you can to book it. that. You yeah. can book it for sure. And it's not just a this year thing. This is like we're a couple Olympic cycles deep into this theory, <laughs> being actual facts. I mean, it's a fact, Gary. Back me up on this one. Oh, it's a it's a fact. And the other part of the, <laughs> this fact is wherever we go, <laughs> you, you can count on a 20 Wait, degree man, drop it's <laughs> cloudy and 60 in atlanta at the end of may what's going on the whole time we did you ever watch as a as a child and maybe this is something that you continue to do on reruns today did you ever watch the flintstones as a lad? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Did you remember Wellsy Wu who walked around with a cloud over his head that it, it rained on him all the time? <laughs> Are we Wellsy and he's Wu? Wellsy, Wellsy, Wu, Wu. Okay. That, that's that's all that is That is who we are. Yeah. As, oh, actually describes it perfectly, yes. We are recording this before game two against the Yankees at the back end of this homestand. I, I do want to go a little off topic for a moment. The home run by Aaron Judge in game one, Jerry. I mean, that was like. That was superhuman, man. I would say watching Aaron Judge last night, you know, game one of this series, would you can't play a more dominant game than he played last mm-hmm. night. It evoked memories of kind of the 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 third prime of Barry Bonds' career, <laughs> where he was just unpitchable. And I, you know, last night I'm sitting here watching it. He covers the entire strike zone. There's really nowhere to go. He has power everywhere, you know, to, to every quadrant of the zone. He doesn't really chase the balls. He hits the strikes a long way. And uh, it, it, there's not a lot of opportunity. You just, you're hoping he misses, and right now he's just not missing a whole lot. Yeah, that was and, a- and robbing one is just like, come on. Yeah. Well, it helps to be seven foot five, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You've already hit two. You can't, you can't go robbing homers, too. It's not fair. Yeah, he was the only guy who could have done that. You know, it was interesting. The only guy who's hit a, a home run harder in this ballpark was Julio last year, September. That incredible game, uh, the finale against the Braves. That was one of the games of the year for the Mariners last season. Uh, news comes out today. Julio is the American League Player of the Week. Uh, Julio is seemingly back to being Julio, Jerry. I mean, it was quite the process for him. We know there was a lot of work that went into it. Uh, Scott has talked at length about Julio and, and the struggles early, but now it seems like the swing decisions are back generally in the right realm for Julio, and we know this. When he swings with the right pitches, 
good things typically happen. Uh, he looks so much more comfortable in the batter's box. He, it's a, you can just see it's he's relaxed. His posture has improved, and it's not just picking better pitches to swing at. He's executing better swings. When he was going through his his struggle, and and remember, he had a phenomenal spring training. The first week or ten days of the season, he looked like Julio. And then he just got cold, and and when he got cold, he started to press. And you do things when you're when you're pressing, when you're trying to find it that you just don't typically do. And he was carving the strike zone. You know, the 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 plane of his bat was tilted, and you saw him really trying to get inside pitches, and he couldn't stay inside it. And I thought a, a turning point when it started to 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 move in the right direction was when we were in Detroit. You know, he, he, he actually did stay inside a ball. He's still swinging at bad pitches, but he stayed inside a ball. He looked more like himself. And then the, this entire homestand, beginning with the, with the series with Oakland, everything was just a laser, and he stayed inside the ball, which is, you know, when you talk to the best hitters in the world, that's the first thing they're going to tell you. you got to keep your hands inside the ball. I was looking at some of the numbers on this homestand for Julio, and he has put 16 balls in play in this homestand over 100. It's a short amount of time, and, of course, the numbers are off the charts and the production of that. But I was thinking about even the guys that are capable of doing that in a given homestand. The judge is here. He's certainly one of them. But it feels like a pretty short list of guys, of the elite guys that can do that sort of thing. Probably. <laughs> you know, there aren't many alive. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly not one of them that can give you a, it's the, the insight into what that feels like. But there probably aren't too many guys that in the middle of May can just decide, all right, I'm going to add 40 points to my batting average. Yeah. You know, it's, and he did that. And I, I think we look up in the season in aggregate, you blink, and he's on pace for about a five-and-a-half win season, which is pretty unbelievable considering, you know, the 30-day malaise that he just went through. And it's, he still remained good on the bases. He still did his thing in center field with defense. And, and he never lost his smile. He was getting frustrated, but, but he kept coming. You know, he kept coming to work. He's been putting in extra time with his hitting coach and, and getting down there, truly getting after it. And, and you can see the look on his face now. He's got his swag back. Mm. He knows he's, he's back to doing the things he does to affect the game in all his different ways. You know, it's funny, even leading up to this homestand, the thing that really stuck out to me, too, is when he hit the ball 95-plus, hard-hit ball, he had the second-lowest batting average in baseball. You knew that was going to turn around. How much of this was just bad luck along the ways, too? You know, when when you get elite players that go through elongated slumps, there's almost always – you know, bad luck associated with it on both sides with the pitcher as well. It's, mm. you know, you get the, you get babbipped, you, you're hitting the ball hard. It's at people, you know, where it really starts to twist out of control is what happened to Julio is when you start to try to do things to combat the bad luck. And now you're trying to hit the ball 150 miles an hour. You're, now you're trying to hit it over the bullpen. It's, you don't get extra credit for the 700 foot homer. It's still a run. But as a player, you're trying to combat the luck by, by doing different things physically, and that's how you get into funks, and that's where he found himself. As a coaching staff, how much of the job is to keeping a guy on track when they're doing things right, when everything is going well under the hood, they're just not seeing results, and just trying to keep them doing that instead of veering off? It's really hard. You know, a, a great example on our present club is Matt Brash. For, for a number of weeks, Matt, I, I don't know that you could be more snake bit than Matt Brash has been for most of the season to date. 
you know, absurdly poor luck with the batted ball. And, you know, his stuff is as good as it's ever been. His command is better than it's ever been. You know, his strikeout rate is otherworldly. And, and, and somehow the league hits about 600 when they put the ball in play on him. And that starts to eat at a player. And now you try to do things. And I think the, you know, the tip of that mountain for Matt was when we were in Detroit. He just started to try to do things in a difficult situation to avoid the contact. Mm. And if you're avoiding the contact, you're not going to be a very good pitcher. If similarly for, for Julio or a hitter in, in a slump like that, if what you're now trying to do is hit it away from fielders, if what you're trying to do is hit it harder or longer, now you're changing what you do physically. And when you change what you do physically, the game just changed. Now you're no longer the same player that the, that same relaxed, snap, athletic, you know, impact player that you've been is just goes away. You can't play the game tense. And no matter, I, maybe Ty Cobb could do it. I don't think you could direct the ball toward open space, <laughs> you know, and, and while hitting it hard against the kind of stuff that's coming out of the hands of these pitchers. Oh, you mean you can't aim the baseball? <laughs> oh, seems hard. I thought you could just say, I want to hit it over there. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I'm, oh, we're not going to have our second anthem rehearsal. This is our second straight wheelhouse with the anthem rehearsal. Yeah, we just on. plowed through that. Just plowed through. I feel like last time we did the disclaimer, yeah. so I think that's great. that covers all wheelhouse. That covers all wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> go, go back to episode 82. Uh, Gare, I, I liked your point on the um, the balls in play at 100-plus in the homestand. Yes. Uh, two things. First of all, for those who don't recall, we have our own uh, – hard-hit scale. Yes, we do. Uh, which I do think this is a proper time yes. to re-educate. Um, Excellent. Unlike our disclaimer for the anthem, this needs to be brought out often. Yes. Uh, so there's the hard hit, which is standard. Uh, stat cast degrees, 95 miles an hour off the bat or more. There is the extremely hard hit. <laughs> we, I will admit, Gary and I did go back and forth for some time on what to name the middle ground. Extremely hard hit is uh -huh. a ball at 100 plus. Okay. And then our personal favorite, the ultra hard hit. Which is 110. That's the best of the best. Okay, that's SEAL Team 6. That's, you, you can't, you're a short list if you're on that. Uh, since the start of the homestand, Gare, Julio, 16 balls in play at 100 plus or extremely hard uh -huh. hit, leads baseball. Yeah. Uh, second, these are some fun names. Second is Acuna, 13. Yeah. Third. Wait till you hear who else is on this list. Austin Riley, a dozen. Fourth, Aaron Judge. And J.D. Martinez. So, I mean, like, oh, and J.P. Crawford's and 11. J.P. Crawford. Yeah. How about that? Your shortstop can pull the baseball now, Jerry. Well, I will say this about J.P. He gives us what we need in a moment. If we need the nine hitter who gets on base, he's that guy. If we need the leadoff hitter to step in and, and kind of calm the water, he's done that periodically for years now. He just elevates to the top and he finds a way. But when JT, JP finds that, that stroke, he'll go through a 30-day stretch, you know, where he looks like the, he's got the whole package of skills. It's the, it's the gaps. It's the over-the-fence power. He's taking his walk. And right now he's in that groove, you know. You can tell when JP, when the swing gets big for him and he starts feeling it, it's usually going to be a fun month in, in JP world. And it typically happens right about this time of year for him when the weather starts to warm and the ball jumps a little bit. And and uh, and then you'll see him try to pull the ball more. And, and you know, nobody stays hot forever. And when it's time to go back and, and start hitting the ball, spraying it around the field, high contact, you know, it might take a little time to adjust, but he'll get back to that too. And, 
it's uh, the thing that I've enjoyed most is he's been ultra consistent defensively. But the fact that he hits the ball like Ronald Acuna and, and Aaron Judge, <laughs> that's good too. I mean, when you take his season on a whole, and I know he had a great month to start last year, but this feels like the best version of JP we've seen for an extended period of time. You know, I, I said this last week. In so many ways, like JP's vibe, our team kind of flows through JP in some way. And it doesn't matter if he's sitting ninth or leading off. And it doesn't mean that he's our best player uh, on a given day. There's just a way that he goes about playing, uh, you know, a swag that he has on the field that when he starts vibing, the rest of the group vibes with him. And, you know, I think when we're at our best, he is oftentimes right in the middle of it. And sometimes it's a walk and sometimes it's a, it's it's the crazy play in the hole that he turns and he makes he has the ability to flip the key or change the script for our team in a way that not a lot of players do yeah. even players who can go impact the game by hitting you know big homers and 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 doing more marquee type things he does the little thing and i think his teammates recognize it and it creates a lot of energy in the game We've been really taken by uh, Cal Raleigh this month and how he has cut the swing and miss down. Strikeout rate in April was, I mean, it's high for the whole team, but for Cal, it was in the low 30s, striking out roughly a third of the time. And this month, he's right around 20%. And I think we all just kind of assumed that hey, uh, swinging and missing, walking, and hitting home runs are like he's a three true outcome guy. And for what he does behind the plate, if he can bomb and walk slightly above league average if not league average like that's a really good player and he's showing us at least for a month that he can really shorten that thing up and become more of a hitter what have you seen from Cal Raleigh on that note I heard a, a scout from an opposing team mention this in the spring Cal doesn't get enough credit for the, the bat to ball his hitting skill you know he and from both sides of the plate he's not really tapped into just how good a hitter he can be but the three true outcomes are always there he does walk, he does hit bombs, and, and among our players that have grown up in our system, Cal is probably the guy that is most likely to identify an area where he thinks he can get better or he thinks he should get better and then work on that thing. And, I, and he does it rather, just like he does everything else, he does it rather quietly. You know, it's he's not super expressive. He's probably not going to go find six coaches to help him with something. But that kind of transition doesn't, you can't pretend to get that much better at something in such a short time. And maybe it's it's a it's a, a short-term improvement, but my guess is somewhere between that number and, and what he was doing in April or what he was doing in 2021, it's an area that he wants to work on, and you're seeing it today. He's just getting better at it. When you look at Cal and what he's done so far this season, he's top five in F4 for catchers in baseball, which is a great place to be. Yet, tell me if... You think that's right? It feels like we have not seen the best of Cal yet this season. I don't think we've seen the best of Cal yet, period. You know, and, and he this is a guy who led, you know, all major league catchers in home runs last year and, and had about a, I think a four and a half win season in twenty twenty two. Cal is evolving. You know, he's young players get better. I think one of the things that, that we're watching this homestand particularly, he's getting more opportunities to hit right-handed. We're getting him in there as, as a more frequent DH. Um, he was pretty banged up from, you know, middle of April until the middle of May with a series of small little bothersome issues from from thumbs and it's the things that happen to catchers yeah. who catch regularly in our game. And, and he just keeps on 
playing right through it. And and sometimes when when you see Cal go through the the six or eight game stretch where the the strikeouts do pile up, or you know he needs an extra blow, he wants to play every day. And if he needs that little blow, he's probably telling you there's I'm playing through something that I'm just not telling you about. He is the throwback, old time tough guy who really wants to play as frequently as you can get him in there. And I and I think and and I've heard Cal say this. You know, he believes that he is a better hitter, an overall better hitter, when he gets to hit from both sides of the plate, that it creates balance in his swing. And because this is the healthiest he's been all year long, now he's getting an opportunity to hit right-handed more, either as a DH or behind the plate. And, and, and that seems to have really done a lot for his overall offensive game. And, and if it's that easy, I, I, I vote we just let him hit all the time <laughs> because he is. He's been a driver for us. One of the most important questions I've been asking everyone with Cal that I'm very curious about and curious to get your take, do you prefer Cal socks or no socks? So there's – Cal looks like Cal to me when he's wearing the socks. Mm. You know, that yes. being said, when he's wearing the pants down, uh -huh. it, it, he looks – I mean, he looks like Julio. <laughs> it's a it's a streamline, athletic look, and it's a. It, but uh, I do think when Cal wears the socks, it, it that streams Cal to me. It's like the okay. Carlton Fisk, you know, the the yes. the throwback yes. grinder. That's like it. it's it, it gives me that Cal vibe. This is the first response we've gotten to this that really validates my feeling here. Yeah, because he profiles as pants down guy. He does. I mean, it's a big lower half. That okay. being said. And the position. You just don't see catchers with the high socks. But that being said, we are so accustomed to Cal in the white dad new balances and the socks up. Like we're it's a creature comfort now. <laughs> I I think it's a rare not every player in the big leagues can pull off both. And I think That's Cal pulls point. off both. I mean, this to me, when when I see catchers with the high pants, you know, I think back to the catchers when I'm growing up, you know, in the, the or, or the the old images of World Series films and in, in years gone by with Roy Campanella and Yogi Berra and <laughs> yeah, when the know, pants were like bloused. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yes. <laughs> this is what it's about. This is what this podcast is about. Hey, his battery mate, Logan Gilbert, has had a is it fair to say sneaky, quiet, good year? Yes. Uh, when you look at Logan last year compared to this year. Strikeout rate noticeably up, ground ball rate up, walks down. He's doing everything even better than he did before, and he was very good before. What have been the differences in your eyes for Logan Gilbert? You know, for Logan, much like I just described with Cal, I'm not sure you can have a player who's more intent on improving uh, than, than Logan Gilbert is. Very thoughtful. You know, he is very systematic about the thing that he wants to get better at. And, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for him this year is across the board, his secondary pitches has, have improved exponentially, especially the introduction of the split. And if you think about it, Logan, it's a, he's, he's a long-levered pitcher with a longer arm action and a highish slot. And, you know, the changeup that he was trying to, to use or the changeup that he has implemented from the day he signed with the Mariners was more of the, the traditional get inside the ball, pronate, and, and kind of create action opposite the, the glove side. And, you know, for guys with those kinds of traits, the, the high long levered guy with the high slot, it's not really historically been that easy a pitch to throw. And the, the split, however, has been 
a, an impact pitch for him. It's been a much better version of, of a, of a changeup and has turned into not just a, a pitch that can get off the, a barrel of a bat, but one that can miss a bat. And, you know, and he looks so comfortable throwing it. He'll throw it to the rights and the lefts. And I think having that as a threat takes what is already an impact fastball and, and really magnifies what that fastball can do in the zone, above the zone. I think his fastball command, you know, in years past, and this is throughout Logan's, I guess, evolution as a pitcher, he, just, he throws to the big zone and, and would typically just elevate up and let you try to beat the velocity. And, and his we all know that his, his velocity plays up as a result of the extension with which he delivers the ball. Well, now you have to combat that with vastly improved secondary pitches. He'll throw his breaking ball for a strike. He's got, he's got the curveball he can flip in there. He's got the slider that's hard with some tilt to it, you know, or create some horizontal movement. And he'll throw that split to anybody at any time. There's so many, it, it opened up so many avenues for him. And, and uh, you know, he, he has the ability to take all that and go out and apply it versus a lineup because he's, you know, Logan's very smart and, and he under, he knows who the hitter is. He knows how it, it plays with his strengths. And when he is paired with Cal in particular, the two of them kind of work from a single brain. You know, they're, they're, there's not a lot of, uh, of dispute. They, they know what the other wants to do. They've worked together at every level from a ball up and, and it's uh he's clicking right now. He's clicking like, uh, like, a lot of others in our rotation. He's one of the best pitchers, not just not just on our club, but in the league. Are you pro mustache? Uh, yeah, not. not oh, it's uh, this is not what I wanted to hear. I'm not. I'm not really. I I would say I'm not likely to grow one myself. Well, that's I mean, unfortunate. Yeah. I will say that the uh, coming out of the Top Gun uh, experience, <laughs> I see where it has its merits. Are you? Do you prefer the goatee over the mustache? Uh Depends on on whose face. No, we're talking. We're, we're talking just strictly Logan. Logan. Yeah. Oh, strictly, strictly Logan. Logan. Logan can do whatever he wants, as long as he keeps pitching the way he's pitching. I will support whatever facial hair he chooses. I to think support. Logan is especially intimidating with facial hair, so I, I think the goatee really works for him. I also think the mustache works for him. I I'm I, I'm pro mustache over goatee. Gary suggests full beard. Am I correct? I'm this? a I. Cal is. Uh, I oh, think that's right. Cal. Cal's a, yeah. Cal would be a good full beard. Guy. Yeah. But I think the mustache on Logan it's is phenomenal. I love it. It has the potential to be 80 grade. Think about as if you're the hitter. I mean, Logan's coming. He's his he's like on you. He's got the mustache, the hair, the whole whole thing is frightening. Like I would hate it as a hitter. I, and I think it's great. There's, I'm trying to think of of who in in my baseball life I've looked at, and the first thing I pick up is the mustache. I mean, it could be Eckersley-ish. Yeah, yeah, I could see it now based on my on the record. In-depth conversation <laughs> with Logan about his mustache. It takes him quite some time. <laughs> I feel like it would take him multiple seasons to get to Eckersley level. Because I said to him, the first time I noticed the mustache was in Atlanta. And that's when, as you recall, the fastball jumped. Right, He was suddenly pumping 96 to 98. This has got to be the hair. And I yeah. said, it's, it's the mustache. And he said... No, you don't realize I've been growing this for like four stars. <laughs> 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 Just nobody even noticed. <laughs> 
But I, I think it's great. And I, I hope that he carries it through the All-Star break and we see it deep into September. I think there's there's a lot of punch-outs in that mustache. I'm glad this podcast is a vehicle to tackle the truly important issues, such as Cal Raleigh's socks and Logan's mustache. Hey, Jerry's been I'm around long enough. These that. are the things that we care about the most. All right? Jerry can bring the baseball nonsense. We bring the real nonsense. All right? This is what the people want to hear. Because it's what they see as well. They're stare. We're just staring we're at these guys, at man. The same thing. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. People don't realize we just stare at people for a living. <laughs> we just stare. I mean, we're looking at the monitor. We're looking at BP. We're looking at them on the field. We're just we're just staring at the same group of twenty six dudes yeah. every day. Oh, you're going to mustache now. <laughs> yeah. Are those are those shoes doing? Are you, have you never worn a sweatband on your right arm before? Why are you wearing a sweatband on your right arm? For whatever it's worth, this is the life of a major league relief pitcher. Just so you know, it's a it's it's happening out in the bullpen. It's. This is what they'll talk about. They'll talk about the hair. They'll talk about the guy who switched up the, his shoes. It's, it's because you're sitting out there and you have nothing else to talk about <laughs> for nine minutes until it's your time. So to you pitch. never did. You never did anything. You never tried facial hair. Anything. If if Logan was able to, in a four start stretch, create some visual of of a mustache that that can pass as a mustache. It could take me four years to do that. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, I guess it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. Hey, the Mariners are uh, wrapping up this homestand, and then we'll be going on another three-city road trip, uh, San Diego, and then the Mariners will see two, see two divisional opponents, Texas and the Angels. New format this year, obviously the balanced schedule, fewer teams, fewer games against teams in your division. How do you view that in terms of just simply the importance of games within your division since there are fewer of them to try to knock down teams that are ahead of you? In-game or in-division games have always been important. You know, I guess the fact that we get fewer of them now maybe heightens that awareness. Um, I it's probably less exciting because I think we're playing in a division where right now you may have four of the best, you know, six or eight teams in the American league playing in one division. And, uh, you know, that makes it less exciting to go <laughs> play. Them. But I, I will say it's your chance to do damage. It's your chance to, to, to very quickly make a move in the standings instead of methodically having to move, you know, a game or two in a month, because that's just the way baseball works. This is your chance to, to make some hay. And, and we have that chance and we, we don't get the chance, particularly with the Rangers again, for quite some time, you know, it's a, and you know, for us, a lot of it is we have to do some damage now. And you look at the way our schedule lays out, that last week of the season, those last 10 days are going to be pretty interesting if we can keep it close enough to, to be interesting. And, and part of keeping it close enough is claw away and scrape. You don't, you're not going to go in and make up 10 games in a month, but you need to start somewhere, and you can do that head-to-head. -head. I'm, lo I'm looking at the end of the season. That final homestand. It's pretty interesting. Well, even <laughs> And even before that, you have – the last road trip wraps up with three at Texas. Then you have the Astros for three and the Rangers for four. Uh, the, those last two series at home. So yeah, it's pretty right. good. This 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 just in. The American League West is likely to be decided in that stretch of games. And and if all the teams that are currently doing the things that they're doing hold up their end of the bargain and mm -hmm. you know and stay tightly knit. And I don't think that that this division is likely to be you know disparate in the, in the in the way that they are you know there's not going to be a runaway team I, I think generally speaking it'll it'll stay pretty closely knit for the season they're all good teams the Mariners so far this year have had one series I think you can really circle and say man that is clear-cut the best series one of the season it was in early May at home the Mariners took two games out of three against the Astros 
the majority, the other series wins have generally been against teams that you say, yeah, like the Mariners, they should win that series. When you look at the rest of the season, as we're about a third of the way through or so, where in terms of the litmus test and the markers of this team getting to that next step, because teams have had a good month, right? It's been a good month of May. Where is it in terms of, all right, now the Mariners can start winning series against teams that are playoff-bound teams or were in the playoffs last year or have postseason expectations this year because it seems like they are the Mariners are winning series against teams they should, but the next step feels like, I'm curious your thoughts, taking series against teams that you know will be there in October. You know, I, did, I guess I would I would throw into that there was the, the first road series we won at Cleveland uh, where we were playing a then, you know, mm-hmm perfectly uh, normal version of the guardians it's a they had and they always have the pitching and they're tough to play and you know they have had horrendous luck in in close games as this season has gone on but uh, i don't disagree with the the notion this is kind of how playoff teams do what they do you know you have to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat and you can look at the schedule and you know generally speaking who they are and the rest of the the season you're playing you know touch and go it's a, you're you're 5 and 5 you're 6 and 4 that's what it looks like when you're playing the better teams more often than that and and you might look over the the long season in a division and and find that oh they had a good year against who I, I don't know who that team is, but you know, pick your team. It's they played very well against another good team in the division. But by and large, when you're playing outside your division, especially you know in interleague, it's just touch and go. Two out of three. It's it's one out of three. It's two out of three. It's one out of three. It's two out of three. And when you look up at the end of the season, you know it is something like that. It's something between you know 500 and, and five. 30-ish ball that you're playing against those teams and where you make your hay to, to become a playoff team is you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. And, you know, it's why so often you see teams that have the really gaudy win totals at the end of seasons typically are playing in divisions where there are three teams that, that, that are in the you, you beat, you have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat category. Jerry, we have for you a uh Fairly, fair, fairly topical stump, J.D. Uh, we're going to harken back to Cal Raleigh's night at Fenway Park when he homered from both sides of the plate. Pretty amazing, right? First catcher to ever do it in Fenway Park history, 112th year. That's pretty awesome. I, I think it's amazing. Uh, we are going to expand from the catcher position to all positions, Whew. and we were focusing on the postseason, Jerry. Tell me, who is the first player to ever homer from both sides of the plate in a playoff game. At Fenway Park? No. I was going to say, man, (laughs) we are really drawing this one down. At any ballpark. I'm just looking for the first guy to ever do it. First guy to ever do it. Yeah. I have some. In a playoff game. In a playoff game. So this is, by virtue of the the question as it's being posed, this is 1969 to present. Yeah, that's accurate. Okay. Who would have been the first switch hitter to hit? Home He's runs a- from both sides in a playoff game. I am going to go with, I want to say, let me take a crack at this okay, before yeah. I get the okay. hint. Okay, I'm with you. He's a far more notable name than Carl Spooner. I'm going to go with Eddie Murray. Oh, it's a great guess. But it's wrong. It's wrong. A later, <laughs> later in baseball world time. I later say, meaning closer uh, to closer today? Closer to today, yeah. Uh, later meaning closer yeah. to today. And I would also say... Um, 
while this player is a guy, he is not that much of a guy. But he is a guy. But not that much. But not of a that guy. much of a guy. You know what? <laughs> he's kind of a guy. I mean, he's a guy. He's a guy. Bernie Williams. Yes, Jerry! Jerry! <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, Jerry! I'm, I'm just thinking what? of somebody who's not as much of a guy as Eddie Murray, but is really a guy. See, a, yeah. see, it was an accurate. That actually, hand. really helped. Game three of the 1995 series it's against the Mariners. Amazing that it took that long. One of them, the first home run came off of Randy. I know, that's what I thought too, right? But you think it like switch hitters with power? That's a super rarity. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, there's just not a lot of, the world's not littered with guys in that category. Before Boy. 95, too, there just weren't a lot of playoff games either. Yeah. Well, it's pretty small. 69 and yeah. 95. But the, yeah. there's, that's why I went with Eddie Murray because it's a counting from 1969 to present. It was the first time I came across the switch hitter. <laughs> with, that I thought, yeah, it could be Eddie Murray. And he played in yeah. a lot of playoff Boy. games. So, yeah. Is this, is this ranking the top five of just impressive? That was a really impressive. impressive gets? Yeah. That was really great. To be fair, Bernie Williams played in the postseason like every year yeah. of his existence. He was, <laughs> so, chances were. Boy, I feel great. About, you know, I like, I, there's a certain satisfaction that I get, which is why we do this. When <laughs> yes, I pose for a, a very tough question and Jerry is able to fairly organically get it. Yeah. Like, I, just, I just feel like it's people helping people. And it's just, which it's, is why we're all here. It's why we're all here. It's yeah. what's making the world go round. <laughs> you know, we've covered socks. <laughs> What was the other thing we oh, facial, facial hair. hair, which was my favorite part of the show. Well, the facial hair. It's just, it's just a great episode. This was a great episode. Do you have anything else to add, or should we just? I, I think we should tap out. I'm afraid out. to add anything. No, else. it's just like the masterpiece has been has been made. It's like when you have a perfecto going, you don't even want to talk about it. Right. You just want to finish it and just celebrate. Get out, just, yeah, get out of here. Yeah, Jerry, great work. Do you feel good? I do feel good. <laughs> I do. There's, I would feel better if somebody, you know, locked Aaron Judge in the bathroom <laughs> before the game starts. But sure, yeah, I feel great. Can we go Fernando Rodney, uh, <laughs> Oakland Coliseum bathroom on when Fernando got locked in the bathroom, yeah. and they had to like call a janitor down in during the game to unlock <laughs> Fernando Rodney from the bathroom. That's the big leagues. Jerry, thank you. We promise. We can't promise the next show will be this good, but we can promise Dump JD will be that challenging because you're up for it. So thank you. I'm always game.